Will, are you ready to do another main show episode of the podcast? Absolutely not, Kevin. How about you? <laughs> Absolutely not. Listen, we don't have much time because we've got about 12 hours before this podcast goes out. So listen, I thought we've got this super AI. Yes. Why don't we rope her in for a change? Rather than being behind the booth there, PopBot, I want to give you a job. And the job is this. Will you edit this episode for me and have it out on Wednesday night? What choice do I have? None. She could do this function all this time. (laughs) Yeah. And you've been letting me fucking slave (laughs) over my episodes for the last three years. I enjoy watching you suffer. (laughs) Well, listen, Papa, you can take over the edit. The best bit. I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. You are stupid, you have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Don't call me stupid. Hello and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where we pick our favourite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes. This is your co-host Kevin, and I could have been a contender, I could have been somebody. Instead, I'm doing a podcast. But I gotta tell you, life moves pretty fast. And sometimes you gotta just say, what the fuck? And I'm joined, once again, by a writer of three films, plus a Christmas special, and... A Star Wars, and he's not wearing his glasses. Where are your glasses? <laughs> how are you, Will? I, I feel like I've come of age, Kevin. That's how, how I am. Well, I feel like I'm coming to terms. Coming to terms with what? Everything. Once you turn 30, time just tends to speed up, and I'm just sort of getting used to that. Right? I know. The last 30 years have just been whoosh. <laughs> Will, we're doing coming-of-age movies, and this was a topic that was picked by our Patreon backers. There was 10 options. I think I told you guys what they were before Christmas. I can't remember what they were. One of them I really wanted to do. This one I got, and... Coming-of-age stories are about, like, firsts. First love, your first job, your first heartbreak. Death is a big one in a lot of them. They're rites of passage. Cards on the table. I don't know how to tackle this topic. Oh, my God. I don't know what my angle on this would be. Other than that, I really, really liked them. Yeah. So I thought maybe I can just tell people what I've watched that I hadn't seen before that I really, really like, and then sort of hopefully a thesis forms around it. Mm -hmm. But right now, coming of age movies are just one of my favorite genres, but I don't know how to sort of present it as a topic to people other than these are great. Yeah. You know what? Most of my produced films are coming-of-age stories. Which ones? Well, you haven't seen any of them. No. <laughs> Wolfwalkers is coming-of-age. Song of the Sea in its own way is coming-of-age. My my first film, My Brothers, is definitely coming-of-age. Even the... And when are they coming out? They'll be, they'll be out in selected theatres over the next 20 to 37 years. Maybe when after I pass away. Is that like home projection theaters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my yeah, yeah, you can come over to my house and we just we can we'll just do it privately. <laughs> Even the Star Wars when we talk about the Star Wars at the short, that's kind of a coming of age story as well. The little Star Wars short we did. I find myself drawn to coming of age stories. I think it's uh, but don't sh- I think drawn, it's a very, very animated, yeah. brilliant. <laughs> 
stretch that one. Well, do you know what? Cinema has been going for over a hundred years, but the term of a teenager and coming of age movies do tend to focus on adolescence, mostly. Sometimes, yeah. you know, self-actualization yeah. comes later in a character's life, but terms like teenagers, that's more of a 50s concept. So coming of age films didn't mm-hmm. really sort of rise to four. In the traditional sense, no, I know you probably have a golden fleece argument here where you'll say that every film is a, is a coming of age <sighs> film. But um, All right. I think they, they, this type of subgenre doesn't begin until Rebel Without a Cause. Like that was the first sort yeah. of like big teenager story. You're tearing me apart! Because kids prior to like the 1950s, they would have to go straight from school to work. And that was happening much younger. So kids were leaving school at 14. You couldn't really have those those moments of self-exploration or, you know, experiment and, and figure things out for themselves. Oh, okay. It was because kids had more time in their hands. Yes. And hey, I'm one who's going to advocate a return to some traditional traditions of sending children out to work at the age of, let's say, Sensitive. 11. How about 11? I watched a few of these coming-of-age films, actually, and the amount of shocking violence towards kids was uh, was extreme. And I think it explains really? an awful lot why boomers, especially, are such miserable gits because they really were dragged up and raised by wild animals. So films like Kess and films like The 400 Blows, they were just knocking shit out of these kids. And I bet that they were knocking shit at the actors as well. It was shocking. I, it sounded like, I know Kess was a fairly brutal, not brutal, but it was a very naturalistic filmmaking and whatnot. Yeah. Is there a scene in it? Am I right in saying this? There's a scene in it. Maybe Pierce spoke about this in one of our episodes. Oh, where they all get caned. Where they thought they actually killed. Oh, no. Is that it? Yeah. Look, that film is just wall-to-wall misery and grimness. I went back to it because I I don't know why I thought I had a I thought it had a sort of um a boy finds himself a Billy Elliot vibe of like true true falconry or whatever yeah. he sort of comes to have more confidence in himself and instead he is just he's just knocked about bullied treated like shit the teachers are bastards it, his brother is a bastard they're all fucking horrible cunts. And Kess, the bird, is barely in it. Kess is in it for about maybe five minutes of the whole film. And oh, about three minutes of that. Sounds like I'm a child. Three minutes of that. Kess is dead. So I was like, this oh, film God. is miserable. It's very powerful because it's Ken Loach, obviously. But okay. Jesus, it, it was hard. I, I, it made me feel more, not empathy, but more understanding for the older generation. Because that was commonplace. That was how mm. they were raised. Just... You know, all the adults were aggressive and obnoxious and, and hard-nosed. And as a kid, you just had to get along. Yeah. Just get through it. Like the this softly, 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 softly approach to dealing with children really hasn't come in. It was a, It's a 90s thing. It's a, it's a 90s, maybe a 2000s thing, I think. Because before that, kids got fucking hammered. Got absolutely the shit bait out of them left, right and centre. If they had iPads in Kess's generation, they would have smashed them over the heads of the kids. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Just at the breakfast table, just because they'd said something. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not going to school. It's pissing down with rain. <sighs> Bang! Smash the iPad off their head. 
you're going to fucking school. And that would be like a charming breakfast scene with the family. Did you, <clears throat> this is a little, this is a sidebar, but did you ever see, this has appeared on social media for me sometimes uh, the odd time. And it's like uh, a documentary footage, BBC documentary footage from the 1970s. And it's of this police officer. He's like a teenage police officer, like a police officer for teenagers. He's like a huge kind of detective. He's a middle-aged man, like a burly middle-aged man with this like, you know, uh, leather jacket. And the footage is of him going to a house where he's been called in to deal with this troublesome teenager, a lad who maybe like be 13 or 14. And he knocks on the door and the, 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 the mom opens it up and she's kind of really harried and she's really, she's obviously called him in. And he says, right, where is he? And she's, he's upstairs it's in like bed. It's like the Alpha Hitchcock thing. And he marches, thumps up the stairs. Remember Alpha Hitchcock, they sent the <laughs> kids the to st- the police officer. Oh, they sent Hitchcock? Yeah, Hitchcock. When he was like six or something, his mum sent him to the local police officer and said, give him a note for the police officer who put him into a jail cell for about 20 minutes because he was a yeah. naughty boy and scared the shit out of him. Yeah. Absolutely. And they locked him in. I think they locked him in the cupboard with all the with all the pies as well. I usually do think they locked him in the cupboard and he just ate everything. But he was I do think that's true. But in this this 1970s, like, you know, teenage detective, he was like a rough type of guy. He thumps up the stairs anyway, and he goes banging, thumping on the door with his fist. And he's like, Right, are you in there? And he like, you know, opens up the door and the, the young fella's like still asleep in bed and he's like he sees your man he's like oh no leave me leave me alone <laughs> and he grabs him by the head the head of the air he grabs him and he lifts him out of fucking bed and he says you get yourself dressed and he flings him in. like he roughs him about on camera and like takes him downstairs and beats the shit out of him in the kitchen and like this is like a BBC documentary about like yeah this is how we deal with children these days you know it's like, yeah it was the same hell. thing with the 400 blows it was like full open palm clatters across the face of the main kid I was like fucking hell they actually properly belted him that wasn't like one of those you know fake slaps God. kids today they don't know how easy they have it they're yeah. burning world and their lack of housing and they're competing with AI for jobs yeah they need to save us. Please, children of the future, save I think, us. I think they're going to burn us. To be honest, we have it coming. Yeah, so those were ones that I watched, Kess and 400 Blows, and I I wouldn't call them crowd pleasers. Fascinating films. Okay. Good to watch. Casper, on your feet. You were asleep. Were you, Casper? I don't know, sir. I know. You were. You were asleep. Why were you asleep? You were having scoundrel. Don't know, sir. They seem to pick on you, don't they, Casper? Why is it? Don't know, sir. Because you're a bad Maybe I am sometimes, but I'm not that bad, sir. This is Billy Casper. Billy Casper cheats, steals, lies, fights. Because, well, because he has to. This is going to be a very freewheeling chat because I just don't know how to, like, structure this one. Let's Papa, talk, talk just make about, sure tell me to, the ones you love, Papa, just make sure to edit out any crosstalk. Will do. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Papa. <laughs> I think she's, she's, she's committed to this. This is going to be very interesting. It is. Another one I watch. Well, you tell me one. I'll, I'll throw it over to you. Well, before I kind of get into it, th- why I think coming of age stories are really powerful and evocative tales that draw audiences back to them again and again is because... I think everyone in their lives has a period where we come of age and it's a period where I think there's an awful lot of hope because we're bursting out of the umbrella, the blankets of our parents, our guardians, 
are losing their control over us. And that is a can be a real serious conflict. If you've got a parent or a guardian who is very controlling and coveting, oh my God, it's going to be harder to burst out mm-hmm. of that. But if you have a guardian or parent who is quite nurturing, then, you know, you have different results. Also, you're heading out into the unknown. So that is inherently dramatic in, its, in itself as well. It's like a softer version of the hero's journey. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. It is, the, it is a bit of a hero's journey. But I was going to say this at the top of the episode, and I forgot to say it. The thing that I love about... Uh, did I say this? Fuck me. I'll tell you if you did. How about you tell me? What I love about this subgenre is that... <laughs> Stiffly wasn't listening. More than any other film, they make me feel something no other film does, and that is nostalgia. I feel this ache of right. nostalgia when I watch great coming-of-age films. I watch something like Stand By Me, and I'll feel such longing and nostalgia yeah. and, and almost like a wistful regret, even though I didn't grow up in the 60s and I don't have any frame of reference for yeah. that time period. But I still will, it, there's something very human about the passage of time and the sort of the, the fracturing of childhood relationships. I remember being in a meeting once. And I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast, but I was at a meeting at the BBC for a project that didn't didn't progress. But I remember telling um, the round table, the, the room that we were in, that I have a vivid memory of one day looking at my toys and they just being pieces of plastic. They were no longer something oh. that I could sit on the floor with and just whirl away hours playing with. That they'd suddenly just become inert and dead and they didn't do anything. And I was like, trying to remember, how did I spend so much time playing with these? They don't do anything. They were just, my imagination had gone. And I remember thinking, I've lost something really special. And I was only, what, 10, 11? Yeah. But I just couldn't, I couldn't get the toys to work anymore. And it was just this weird thing of like, Uh, I would sit on the stairs and play with these things for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And no, they held no appeal to me. They were just colorful plastic. Like, uh, well, I suppose I can pose them mm-hmm. on my windowsill or, or my shelf and that's that's all they're going to be from now on. It's just sort of mementos of my imagination. And uh, I don't know if that's just me and I'm just a very sensitive or was a very sensitive kid, but I, I feel like coming of age movies just give me that in such a, a high dosage that nothing else does. I can watch period films and not feel nostalgic for that period. I can watch whatever... Um, mm. films where characters go off on exotic locations and not feel like I want, I wish I was there. But for some reason, a really great coming yeah. of age film. And you spoke a bit in Body Swap when you talked about Big, when he walks in the door and you said something that really um, put a dagger in my heart. But you said, wouldn't anybody just wish to be a little kid just for a little moment more to be able to walk in the door and your mum's got your dinner on and it's like how are you whatever just to experience that again and I used to get that even as a kid watching coming of age films I must have been 12 or 13 when I saw Stand Mm. By Me younger than the characters in the film I think maybe I was about the same age as them but uh, I felt just this aching sadness at the end of it and uh, I've Mm -hmm. always gotten that from great coming of age films they nostalgic feelings. I absolutely relate to your experience there with the toys. I remember being kind of mocked for still playing with toys. I was in a car. I mean, at 16, 
anyone's going to get mocked, Will. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember it was, I was probably 11 or something. Yeah. And I remember getting like some figurines. I don't remember what they were. It was like, what? Cindy. we're, We're at a match. Cindy, yes, that was my figurine of choice. Um, and it was Cindy goes to the movies as well. Yeah. You know, she had this little popcorn thing and oh my God. Uh, yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> but anyway, I remember these other lads were at a match and these other lads like were in the car who were maybe, maybe they were a year ahead of me. <clears throat> and I had them, like I was showing them the lads, uh, the, the, the whatever these figures. And one of them turned around to me and he said, you don't stay, still play with toys, do you? And I, it was like, shaming what? you. What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't understand the con and I felt like what what horrified me was the idea that a time will come where I won't want to play with these things. And now I'm gonna trump that with now the experience as a parent, watching these films like as a parent, where I'm seeing Luke now, who was like really into his Lego Marvel stuff and uh, his dinosaurs and his animals and all that sort of crack and plays, just really plays, actively played with his toys. Now he's no interest in it. And now he talks about his toys in a way that, oh, I remember I used to be used to playing with, with toys. And oh, it's a bit, it's a bit cringe actually when I think back on it. Like, and I'm, it really fucking breaks my heart. He's beating us by a few years there. There's a big difference between yeah, his age and our age. They have digital devices. They have digital devices now. That's trumped all of us. They're advancing faster. Yeah, or no, the voices have just zombified his brain where he's imagining. And I'm devastated because I'm seeing he's now left that phase and he's moved on to this other phase. Calling strange men on Call of Duty wankers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're having to, I'm having to do a whole thing with, with, with him playing online games at the moment. Anyway, it's a conversation for a minute, it's Kevin. But you <laughs> okay. asked me about some of my picks. One that was one that I remember being a film that was a calling of my coming of age. It was the first foreign film I saw when I was 13 years of age. I think I mentioned it in season one of the podcast when Shirley Crimmon, my next door neighbor, said, I've got this film. You have to watch it. And I went up to her house and she put on my first foreign film and it was Cinema Paradiso. It's a beautiful coming of age story. And I, in in watching that, felt I had my own coming of age calling. And it was like, I am going to follow films all the oh. way. I don't know where I'm I'm just going to follow films. Yeah. As the main character was this kid growing up in rural Sicily, just obsessed with cinema. Uh, I too was this kid growing up in the rural countryside, obsessed with films. And what, watching that film made me feel like, oh, you have a chance that maybe there's a, there's a path ahead of you. Beautiful coming of age story. A really, really Gorgeous coming of age story. So that was one for me that I didn't rewatch. And I'm not using it as my favorite pick or anything like that in this, but it's a thing, a wonderful coming of age story. Definitely. So that was one for me. Yeah, that's a very good one. And um, Papa, you can pull in uh, that clip from that season one episode. Was it Tear Jerkers? Might have been. I, maybe it was. Yeah, maybe it was Tear Jerkers. So pull that clip up and you can drop it in here, Papa. You'll handle that, won't you? Sure. Great fair play to her. What about you? I'll tell you, I noticed that when the character or when the protagonist is a girl, the coming of age stories are far more expressive and less expressionistic. The characters in okay. sort of a male-led coming of age stories, it's, they're more reactionary and they're more internal and it sort of stuff happens to them and they sit with it 
and you feel like a seismic change has happened, but they're not outwardly as expressive as like a girl protagonist, like in Lady Bird or My Girl or Dirty Dancing. Oh. Because in Dirty Dancing, I remember clearly there was a scene between Baby and her dad where she says to him, essentially, that I've been lying to you and I'm sorry, but you've been lying to me as well and that you have all these expectations for me and I'm failing at them and I'm never going to live up to them, but I love you and you need to love me for who I am and all that I am. And it's just this change of a dynamic. She's no longer daddy's little girl anymore. She's becoming her own woman mm-hmm. and he is finding it hard to accept that. And I thought that is a moment of self-actualization. It is a character doing the scariest thing to them, which is going against their father, but not backing down from it and saying, this is the new line. Yeah. I'm establishing that I am my own person now. I love you. I'll always love you. But you know, you're going to have to accept that things have changed. I thought that is the moment. I feel that like you won't get another story. I'm sorry I lied to you. But you lied too. You told me everyone was alike and deserved a fair break. But you meant everyone who was like you. You told me you wanted me to change the world, make it better. But you meant by becoming a lawyer or an economist and marrying someone from Harvard. I'm not proud of myself, but I'm in this family too and you can't keep giving me the silent treatment. There are a lot of things about me that aren't what you thought. But if you love me, you have to love all the things about me. And I love you. (laughs) I'm sorry I let you down. I'm so sorry, Daddy. But you let me down too. It's just standing up to your parents and saying no I'm my own person Mm -hmm. It's exactly That's exactly the type of coming of age Moment we actually have in Wolf Orkerson A scene that I remember identifying Really early on Yeah yeah, yeah. I know For for the benefit (laughs) of you who have not seen the film The main character Robin At the beginning of the story Her dad is a world And she just wants to be with her dad And do everything Walking with the wolves She's yeah. <laughs> really, actually I do I, I'm beginning to suspect you actually have seen this film now. You you've got all the all the kind of the essentials covered. But there's a, a pivotal moment in the story where which kind of like ties into the what I was saying earlier about coming of age tropes and stories, is that there's a moment through her journey with her this little girl that she makes friends with, she comes to realize that the world philosophy her dad instilled upon her that she thought was the normal way of being is kind of fundamentally broken. And she has to, she has to build up the courage to step outside of it and actively say to him and actively, actively tell him, tell him that she's stepping away from him and that she has no choice. And it's up to him if he wants to follow her or not, that's his choice, but she has to move on. And it's so emotionally powerful it, I'm this, not saying this it, film that I made is so amazing it's so <laughs> what I'm talking I love about, about that my act. film is that it's just I'm, fantastic it really is the I'm best talking, coming I'm of talking about, you know <laughs> this is Mr. Brings Up Grabbers every other episode it says, the no, reason I do this, not. this in the scene was because oh oh, sorry it's every episode it's Pop because up in a clip that of moment 
No gloves. <laughs> Good lass. <sighs> this is still new for you, but it's a righteous life for a young lady. Well, it's no life for me. I can get the wolf walkers to leave. You just need to listen to me. Robin Goodfellow, enough of your stories. I can go look for her. You must do as you're told. No more fairy tales. But the... No buts. The wolf walkers... Wolf walkers are not real. But what I'm talking about is the moment of a child child standing up to their parent and saying, I, I'm not going with you anymore, which is like what you're talking about in Dirty Dancing. But that is um, that is the big antagonistic force in a coming of age story. It's not, uh, it's not you know, we've got to solve this case. Or we've got to catch the killer. Or we've got to rescue the princess or, or reclaim the goblin or whatever. It's we've got to stand up for ourselves. Yeah. What is our path in life, regardless of whether we get yeah. acceptance or agreement or endorsement from our parents. It's it's a loss of innocence. It's it's a reconfiguring of this relationship. You know, the the relationship, you know what I mean? Like the relationship between a parent and a child is, you know, a certain way up to, you know, the age of adolescence. You know, it's like very, very clear and very, very simple. But once the child starts to grow up, it the parent loses power. That's what I you mean. Know, it's, it's I don't mean really, like a loss of yeah. innocence in that you become cynical to the world. But when you're a kid, you just think that your parents are gods. Yeah. Your dad is your hero. Your mom is idealized. She's greatest mom ever. And then you you grow up and you realize they're just people. And sometimes they're wrong. Yeah. But uh, I watched The Killer Mockingbird. Oh, it's great. And that's one where it's it's almost inverted. It's the kid... Well, the little boy, Jem, I think his name is, he thinks his dad is boring. His dad is just the most boring guy. He won't play football anymore, he, like a professional football. He doesn't realize what a lawyer does. And then he sees how noble and righteous and compassionate his dad is. And his dad becomes his new hero when he sees him stand up for a, a black man in town who has been falsely accused of rape. And he's on trial for, for, for that. And it's a death penalty. But there's just a moment in that where the pew of black people that have been watching the, the, the case, they've seen his dad lose the case. Miss Jean Louise. Miss Jean Louise, stand up. Your father's passed. You're triggering a another film that wasn't on my list, was on my long list, but it actually is a really uh, brilliant, brilliant coming of age film in its boyhood, of course. And the Richard Linkletter film, amazing experimental project by uh, Richard Linkletter, where he actually went and shot a film with the same cast over 10 years. Like he slotted out or like carved out a week or two uh, weeks every summer to go and film <clears throat> another section of the story of this kid as he goes through his boyhood. And what's amazing is we do see this. You see the troll period. Maybe 10. You're like, oh God, he's in that ugly <laughs> period where it's like he's got the rat and scash. Oh God. Yeah. Like, yeah. And the thing about it is, is that turn off when the they cast the young kid, um, he was like, they just had to gamble like, like his, how he would grow up and what his, what his performance level would be. And, and I, uh, listen, no disservice to the young man who plays the the lead in it. He's not a great actor. He's not a naturally brilliant actor, but this film has moments like that 
where his parents are growing as well. And his parents are going through different phases in their lives. And there's a, a scene in it where his mom, who's played by Patricia, Patricia Arquette, I think she got, got a uh, act, Best Actress Award for, for that. She's just at a restaurant with her, her two kids. And this random waiter, he's a manager of the restaurant, comes up to him. And he says, oh, hi, you might remember me. But a few years ago, he was just doing work for her in, in wherever she was working. He said, look, you told me one time that, you know, I was really smart and I should just get to school and I should, you know, you know, make something of myself. And uh, and, she, and he said, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, after the back of that, I went and I did it. And, and I just want to say, you're, you know, to the other kids to say, your mom's a really clever woman and you should listen to her. And it really hit me. It was just out of the blue. Patricia Arquette just kind of had this moment of, uh, insight into this other character and it had a knock-on effect on this kid's life. It's something we spoke about before in the podcast, how all it takes is just for one person to give you those words of encouragement that might yeah. push you on a different path. Boyhood is just full of those sorts of little moments, little observations on life. She had a lovely line in it, and I'm paraphrasing it, but it was something that came towards the end of the film where she said, I just thought we'd have more time. Oh, God, yeah. Oh my God. And I was like, it's fucking long enough. Like, wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's heartbreaking. It's a, you know, I was actually at the table. I actually met uh, the kid from us. What's his name? Eller, Eller Coltrane, I think his name is. And uh, Richard Linklater. We actually were ha- we did the, a luncheon together. And he was just so awkward in himself. Linklater. He was that kid. You know, Linkler was lovely, actually. But the wee boy, he was so awkward. And he was like, he was, I was, we were asking, like, you know, oh, what are you going to do now? And he's like, uh, maybe I'll keep on acting. I don't know, you know. I don't ask young people that. I remember when adults would just ask you and you'd be 10, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I don't know. He wasn't 10 when I met him. He was but 25 or something. That's worse. <laughs> A 25-year-old. What are you going to be now that you're washed up? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> oh, listen. I watched a couple of Linklater films for this because there are a few filmmakers oh, right, right, okay. who have gone back to the well a few times through coming-of-age films. Judd Apatow okay. obviously has done those whole like arrested development type of, mm. you know, man-child coming-of-age stories. 40-year-old virgin. Knocked up and super bad, I guess. All the super bad, they're teenagers. Mm-hmm. But he feels he's in that space of doing coming-of-age stories. John Hughes, obviously. When this topic came up, I thought of course. John Hughes owns the 80s for coming-of-age stories. Taika Waititi's done a few, Greta Gerwig, Cameron Crowe, Richard Linklater, Francis Truffaut, and Peter Bogdanovich. So there's a few filmmakers that tend to be drawn to the story so much that they've made a few films that are considered to be classics within the subgenre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched Paper Moon from Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, you know what? I've never seen it. What was this? What was it like? <laughs> Well, I ain't your pa, so just get that out of your head. I don't care what those neighbor ladies said. Over cardboard seat, but it wouldn't be make believe if you believed in me. No reason to get that yes, sore. Call me a boy, Jenny. You just got mixed up, that's all. Jenny, look me straight in the eye. Yeah, well, I'm looking you straight in the eye, and I think you're beautiful. Make believe if you Twelve dollar one, Daddy. Twelve dollars. Oh, yeah, well, honey, we, we have to have a little goodness in our hearts. I mean, considering the circumstances. Never mind the circumstances. I'll take it. Paper Moon was surprisingly funny. 
It's a black and white film. He made it two years after the last picture show. I think he did What's Up Doc before it. And Tatum O'Neill plays a, a little girl whose mother has died and there's a huckster, a con man, played by Ryan O'Neill, who's going around swindling old ladies by convincing them that their dearly departed relative bought them a luxury Bible and it's just arrived mm. and he's delivering it and it's $7 or whatever it is. It's a period film. It's set like in the 1920s, mm. I believe. And they end up, you know, buying it because it's from their their husband who died or their father. It's like the, a Bible, of course. Yeah, I'll give you the $7. Thank you so much. He meets Tatum O'Neill yeah. and he agrees to take her across the state to her relative. And so he's chaperoning her. And he's on the make. So he's trying to make as much money as he can from this. So he gets the $200 that's been given to her as sort of like a money to sort of set her up with her aunt that she's going to live with. And they just clash heads the entire time. And she knows that he is a con man. And so she tries to outcon him. Mm. And she forces him to pay her back all the money that he's stolen. And they're just, they've got a very funny dynamic. It, it really worked for me. It was just bounced along. I, thought she was fantastic. He was fantastic. I'm adding that to my watch list right now. It's one of those ones. Also, she smokes like a trooper in the film and she's oh like 10 God. years of age. It was the 70s. It was. A lot of shit happened in the 70s. Another one of those traditions that maybe we should consider bringing back for the youth. In the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Keep them off their devices. Give them a pack of cigarettes. Did you ever try to smoke? What was your coming of age moment with smoking? Oh, well, I tell you about my trying to smoke. My brother started smoking. <laughs> My unnamed brother started smoking. Colin. He had a little smoking spot. <laughs> Colin Collins. <laughs> um, he, had a, he had a little smoking spot and it was on, we have a small little like flat roof, small little flat roof extension to the back of our house and he used to climb up onto the roof and that was his smoking spot. <laughs> and I remember catching him doing it and we're like, come on up, come on up. And of course he was like, take a puff, take a puff, trying to incriminate me. That was the right. that was the thing. Before I knew it, I had a forty a day addiction. <laughs> I was just did you really dragging hard? No, I was not. I did. I did uh, flirt with cigarettes when my in my late teenage years for a little bit. Did you really? Um, yeah, you not your very long. Well, you shouldn't smoke. I know. Yeah, it shows. But it was because I I blame actually I blame my fucking grandmother because my grandmother when we were small, she, she if we had a cold, she would give us snuff. Do you ever remember stuff with these little round disc tins, right? And she would tip it out and she was there. Grandma, take a whiff of that up your nose now. I didn't know what I was sniffing. She was getting us to inhale nicotine, tobacco. Yeah, right into our our nose. She used to give my brother cigarettes and shockingly he didn't become... Fuck you, group like Kess. Kind of did, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's good. And I'm all the better for it. That's all I'd say. Didn't need to be online playing Fortnite. Tell me some more that you watched that you liked, because I'm just looking I'll at a, a smattering you know, of films here. You mentioned just be controversial. How about edit out any crosstalk? Okay. You mentioned a, a name that might appear on my list more than once, actually, and it's Greta Gerwig. Yes, and a film that she made only a, f- a few years ago, not her recent huge breakout success with Barbie, but she made Little Women, that adaptation of Little Women. Oh, I thought you were going to say Frances Ha. No, well, I love Frances Ha as well. Yeah, I really love that. I loved Little Women. I didn't see Little Women. Little Women is absolutely brilliant. I didn't yeah, see it. it's fantastic. She's an amazing filmmaker. It just sounds really fucking scary to me. It's like, how little are we talking here? <laughs> Minute. <laughs> to a quantum sized. 
know. They're all over you. They live in your eyelashes. It's like I can feel them on me. <laughs> yeah. Teeny tiny women. Atomic women. Um <laughs> Um, it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful adaptation of that story. I saw I saw the nineties one. I think I saw one that came out in the fifties or the forties or something like that. For me, this one is is the best version of it because you can feel her uh, absolute love for these characters and the journey that they go through. Even though it's a story set in post Civil War America, the way she depicts the characters it makes them feel really prescient and now. They have a great bond together as sisters, but they are growing up in a really difficult fucking time and life makes things hard for them. And it's how they persevere or how they survive, really, that just draws you in. And the resilience. Yeah. There's a beautiful bookend scene, which I don't think is in the original book, but she definitely in- invented it. And anyway, she put it in. And anyway, it's a bookendy scene where she's meeting with a publisher where she's kind of finally coming into her own. This is Saoirse Ronan. She plays Joe Marsh. That's who she plays. She finally has a standoff with her publisher who's trying to do her over, like, you know, the deal that he wants to do with her. Now, there's the question of the contract. Mm -hmm. I'm prepared to give you 5% of the royalties. So I get 5% of the profit? 5% of the net profits after I recoup. Well, what about a payment up front? I'm the one taking the risk in printing this book. (laughs) Yes, but, but, but it's my book. And if it does well, we'll both make money. If not, I can stay in business. So I get nothing if it fails? No, I'll give you $500 right now to buy out the copyright. Copyright? That's the right for reprinting, that sort of thing. Sequels, characters for other stories. Mm, Might that be worth something? Well, uh, only if it's a success. I see. It seems like something I would want to own, no? Didn't you say your family needed the money more immediately? Yes, they do, which is why I wanted upfront payment. No. It's too risky. I'll only pay for the copyright. You keep your $500 and I'll keep the copyright. Also, I want 10% of royalties. 5.5%. That's very generous. 9%. 6% and that's it. Mr. Dashwood, if I'm going to sell my heroin into marriage for money, I might as well get some of it. 6.6%. Done. And you don't need to decide about the copyright right now. No, I've decided. I want to own my own book. And it's a great scene of her like really coming into her own and finding her voice and finding her own. She's standing on her own two feet. Listen, all I'm saying is if you haven't seen it, it's a great film. I loved it. I loved it. I'm going to watch it now because I, I trust your opinion. I just watched The Black Stallion because you recommended that. And that film was oh. gorgeous. Is this a masterpiece? It definitely is close to one. It gets more conventional yeah. in the, the second half of the story. But the first half, I was like, this is like an art film where it didn't, yeah. it didn't cheat anything. It was beautiful. It's a, a film from 1979. Francis Ford Coppola produced it, but I've never heard anyone talk about it. And it's a, a boy gets washed up as a castaway on a beach with a horse and they have a connection and it sort of follows them mm on their coming of age, I would say. Yeah. But yeah, I, I The filmmaking film. in that film is incredible. The Truly. way the camera is used to, when they're washed up on this beach, how it feels like they do, they're on, washed up on an alien planet. And if you remember, I think when I was describing it to you, 
a fucking penny dropped for me because it was made by a filmmaker, Carol Ballard, who was actually a nature documentarian. And when I was watching it, I felt like, oh shit, when he was watching it, I said, Jesus, this is like an alien scene. And I realized that, oh shit, Carol Ballard was a second unit director on Star Wars. And he shot a lot of the Tatooine stuff on the original Star Wars oh. stuff. So, so the photography you see in that, all the Tatooine stuff is shot by the same dude who shot this film as well. It's gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful. There's a scene on it where he's trying to lure the horse in to befriend the horse. He's on the beach and they're framed in silhouette. Yeah, it's beautiful. He's got seaweed. If you want to believe in magic, in beauty, in friendship, and freedom, believe in the Black Stallion. The biggest blackest and the strongest, the most beautiful horse that ever was. Francis Ford Coppola presents Walter Farley's timeless classic, Whose Time Has Come, The Black Stallion. The story of a legendary horse who could only be tamed by a young boy's love. Black Stallion. A filmmaker that's on my list there that uh, has made a few coming-of-age stories. Richard Linklater. Dazed and Confused. Yeah, which is fucking brilliant. I didn't rewatch it for this, but I love that film. You can even say the Before Sunset trilogy almost feel like they're characters coming into their own. Maybe not coming-of-age. This is the thing. Grown-up characters in their 20s and stuff, and they're still coming-of-age. Like Reality Bites, which I didn't particularly love, but it's like that thing where you're becoming aware that life is not going to be what you thought it was going to be, and you're not going to be the person that you thought you would be. And having to accept that where the antipathy and the mm. apathy is sort of starting to set in. But uh, when I watched Dazed and Conf- or when I watched this other film, I was reminded of Dazed and Confused. And I thought, oh, this must have been such an influential film on, on so many others. Mm. And that was American Graffiti. Who is this on the Wolfman Telephone? Going Little Rock, way down the valley. You call from Little Rock, California? Yeah, long distance. My, my, my. Listen, man, what, 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 what kind of entertainment you got in that town? Uh, all we got is you. You know, it doesn't make sense to leave home to look for home. There's a great big beautiful world out there. Ah, it all comes back to Lucas. Right. I thought it was fantastic. It's one of these slice of life films. It's all incidental and it's these different characters crisscrossing over the course of a night it's the last night of summer the characters are going off to war or they're going off to college but they're no longer going to be around to go cruising or to go hang out with each other and everything is changing it's that that sort of a precipice moment for these characters yeah I, I guess others have said this in the past but i do wonder what kind of filmmaker lucas would have been if star wars didn't happen because american graffiti is so different to his other work and it's a fantastic film and I could see the influence of it in all these other films I was watching, like Slacker, the other Linklater film. Can I give you some trivia? Because I know a lot about Lucas's biography and stuff like that. Lucas grew up in Modesto, California, which is basically what the yeah. American graffiti is is supposed to, to parallel. And that was very much what, what's being depicted in that and that film is very much what he grew up with. He was a gearhead. Just always on the gear, constantly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the gear. <laughs> you're in your lingo. What happened to him? He was big into his like, little uh, cars, those that you see some hot rod cars you see in that. He was in a terrible car wreck 
Uh, he was going to be, I think he was planning to be an engineer of some kind. He was in a terrible car wreck anyway. He should have been killed, but he ended up being bedridden for months and months just recuperating. And it was in that period. Lucas was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucas was a, is a big... How old was he when this happened? Late teens, maybe about 18, 19. Oh. And it was before he was due to go to college. It was when he was recuperating, he started to get into photography and all that sort of stuff. And that was the period in which he went, actually, am I... He, he kind of found his passion for the moving image. And that was the moment that propelled him to go off to film school. And it was, as you said before... If it wasn't for the success of American Graffiti, he, he he was very much going down the independent arts house scene of filmmaking. But Graffiti was such a huge hit, it gave him an opportunity to go and make Star Wars. He was going to make Apocalypse Now right after it, but he couldn't get that. No one bit that one. Oh, that I yeah. did know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was in tight with... Coppola. Was he a founder in American Zootrope or something? Z- Zootrope would have been a film production company. Yeah, it was, Cop- it was Coppola's company. He wasn't. He was, but he was in the in on the ground. But floor. they were working together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was very much working hand in hand with Coppola. So he's again pulling on his own real life experiences for American Graffiti, and he shot it at a great distance. He didn't really direct on hands too much. He just kind of made it the film in the editing room. As, as with kind of all the footage he's, he's cobbled together. It has a very poignant title card at the very end, which lists what happened to the characters. And it's like one of them went off to war and he was blown up and killed. Another one ended up working in insurance, you know, these tragedies. And then the third one, he became a writer and it was like, oh my God, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely devastating. <laughs> <laughs> like my god they, they had their whole future ahead of them and they had no idea what was in store for them I'll tell you the very first one that I watched for this was Rebel Without a Cause because as I said yeah. it's like one of the prototypical teenager centric films and I couldn't bear it I thought all the characters were screeching wailing irritating shits and I felt like the grown up watching it, which was just these fucking teenagers. Cop smack them. <laughs> yeah. So Run what? them over with the car. <clears throat> if you've got a red jacket and you're full of like angst, you just S- don't know what to do with it. So melodramatic. Get a job. Oh, you're such an irritating little prick. Get a job. You're so annoying. <laughs> you're just like, man, you don't know, man. You don't have a clue. I was like, oh, I want to punch him. <laughs> but the rest of them were quite fun. That one just irritated the shit out of me. There were two Am I going to cut across your, am I going to break your chain? No, you're dog? not. This is a complete, like, I'm just looking at oh, my letterbox I, list here and can, thinking, can I bring up, what can I say about this film? Can I bring up, just smash two together that when I was watching them for the filling in the gaps for the end of their year list, I realized while watching them, I says, fucking hell, these are two classic coming of age stories. One was, of course, The Holdovers, which I adored. And that's a, you know, commentary yes. of that young man in that one <clears throat> it's an amazing film it's coming to cinemas now uh, in the next couple of weeks on this side of the water so please get out there and watch it it's a brilliant brilliant film it's not amazing it's splendid and lovely I think it, it I think it's a perfect film but I feel like if you tell everyone it's amazing they're going to go into it and go like was that it oh Do you yeah know what I mean okay I know so I'm going to say it's, it's a, a lovely 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 film it's a coming of age story it's a it's just it's just a wonderful coming of age story the, for both characters uh, yeah yeah absolutely and the other one I was aware while watching it 
I was actually thinking, my God, is this my favourite coming of age film? And it is, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And the scene in yeah, particular... I thought that was fucking brilliant. Isn't it brilliant? The scene in particular that is the scene where, I, you know, on another episode, this might sound like I'm taking the fucking piss, but the scene where she gets her period, where she actually comes of age, had me in tears. A scene yeah. where a girl gets her period had me sobbing. Uh, I loved it. Absolutely and loved that film. should say, it happens off screen. It's just you see the reaction of the character yeah. where and the other characters where it's like, oh, something's happened to me. And yeah. and they play that. It's very tastefully done. It's not sort of like, you no, know, no, you're no, not no, seeing not any of that all. blue liquid. The thing I took from that scene in particular was the, the fact that the, the mom played by Rachel McAdams is in that scene as well. And her reaction to her daughter was was so lovely, but also she was in such anguish because it's kind of like what I was speaking about earlier with seeing Luke giving up on toys or losing interest on toys. I'm seeing the child. Has he had his period? <laughs> That's a horrible joke. Pop, pop, cut that out. No problem. No, but I should have a conversation with him just to prepare him. Pop, pop, no problem. Cut that out. I'm going, to have to say, I'm going to have to get on YouTube. To how, to, how to have the chat with your... Nine-year-old, ten-year-old. There's a time son. in every boy's life. <laughs> You'd be so confused <sighs> if I just came in with a box and just left him beside him. You'd be so confused. He's like, "What do I do with these?" Like, <laughs> but I'm just saying, "Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret." Is a beautiful coming-of-age story. Lovely, lovely yeah, film. Very, very sweet. People gave me so much shit because I talked it up so much, and they went and watched. And they were all like, "I can't believe you made me watch this." I'm like, "Ah." Fuck off. This is a great... F- you got to judge films by what they set out to do. Yeah. And that hit the bullseye. It's it's a very sweet, very funny coming-of-age story of a little girl who just wants to grow up mm-hmm. as fast as she possibly can. Mm-hmm. And she's so naive that it's just so endearing and funny. And I just... I loved it. I guess we've been talking for so long. This is such a random episode. But listen, it's always- you've had like... 60 odd of them so you know what we're capable of and also this is listen, just a very hard topic to talk about and listen Kevin don't worry about it because it's all in Podbot's hand she's going to do an amazing I know, yeah, she's job gonna, it's going to be slick as shit <laughs> ones that I love that I didn't go back to revisit so I can't sort of talk about them in any great detail hmm. Harold and Maud, I absolutely love that film it's so funny it's so surprising and quirky and it doesn't go the direction that you think it's going to go works like gangbusters it's a great film you've got to check it out if you've not seen it Rushmore ah. is hilarious yeah. I revisited it today because I'd only seen segments of it over the years it might be my favourite Wes Anderson film it's up there it's so fucking funny yeah I cracked up laughing today when the little kid the little blonde boy who's like a sidekick informs him that he's seen Bill Murray having an affair with Olivia Williams. So he writes him a letter in crayon and the voiceover is telling him that he's seen Mrs. Cross and Herman Frenching outside her house, skinny dipping and giving each other hand jobs by the pool. <laughs> I went skinny dipping in Mr. Bloom's swimming pool, giving each other hand jobs while you were taking a nap on the front porch. <laughs> it's like, you don't know what's going on. They've been Frenching, skinny dipping and giving each other hand jobs. And he must be eight years of age. I cracked up and he's writing all this very earnestly with crayon in his <laughs> got any good hand jobs lately just enough Wes Anderson tweeness to make it all feel so charming it almost plays like 
a satirical version of a coming of age story because Max, the, the lead character, is a bullshitter and he just is so deluded. There's a poignancy to it in that he lost his mother and I guess he feels inadequate, but he has such great ambition for himself, but he's just not up to the task. He's just, he's nowhere near as smart as he thinks he is or capable. And he develops this toxic crush on Olivia Williams. And he's so bewildering that it becomes charming to people when they're just like, I cannot make this kid out. He's just so full of himself. And he, he, he carries himself as if he's really debonair, but he's actually a dipshit. And mm-hmm. it's really charming. Yeah. It's the fact he's a dipshit. He's not very smart. I love his confidence. Yeah, it's I his confidence. It. He carries himself off with such confidence. I have a little, a very uh, a theory I haven't put to the test uh, in a long, long time. But I think those early films by Wes Anderson are probably his best. But interestingly, he co-wrote those with Owen Wilson. And I feel that as he soon did, as he yeah. stopped co-writing with Owen Wilson, some of that charm or some I there's there's an element that was lost and obviously in that mix up as well on saying that I do love Moonrise Kingdom as well I think Moonrise Kingdom is a great coming of age story there was one other observation that I made when going through all these films and it's something I've not mentioned so far which is that there's usually an age discrepancy between the characters about a boy Paper Moon Harold and Maud The Last Picture Show The Graduate Rushmore An Education Call Me By Your Name Dirty Dancing Risky Business On and on and on and on and on And they're almost Showing them the ways to the world mm-hmm. So like The Graduate Which is A very fun film Have you seen it? Do you, do you... It's been years Since I've seen The Graduate I just remember I just remember it being very fun I just remember it being kind of like Oh it's very funny Okay. Very funny. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's directed by what's his face? Mike, Mike Nichols. Nichols. Jinx. Mm. Pop, pop, put in a ding there. <sighs> yeah. Anne Bancroft, she turns a bit devilish towards the end when Dustin Hoffman's character sort of falls for her daughter and she wants him to have no relationship with her because she's obviously been having an affair with him behind Murray Hamilton's yeah. back. A very depressed Dustin Hoffman comes back from college, doesn't know what to do with himself. And Anne Bancroft is also in a sort of a, a loveless marriage and she decides that you can fulfill my needs, which is, I just need to get off. And so they have a relationship. But I noticed that with that film and, oh, it's my pick. That's why I haven't mentioned it. Oh, before you get onto your pick, shall I mention my pick? Which I kind of, which surprised me. I kind of, I was trying to juggle around these films and go, well, what's the one I'm going to put at the top of my list? And it was a film which I don't even know if you've seen but it stars Greta Gerwig and it came out when it came out it came out in 2016 it's called 20th century women when you were born i told you life was very big and unknown there were animals and cities and music you'd fall in love have passions have meaning But now it's 1979 and nothing means anything. And I know you less every day. I think maybe you guys can help me with Jamie. How do you be a good man? What does that even mean nowadays? Don't you need a man to raise a man? No, I don't think so. I think you're what's going to work for him. You just feel guilty because it's just me and you. You don't know what I'm feeling. 
Men always feel like they have to fix things for women or they're not doing anything. Just be there. Somehow that's hard for all of you. Well, I'm not all men. Okay, I'm just me. Well, yes and no. I see the shapes. Having a kid seems like the hardest thing. How much you love the kid, you're just pretty much screwed. You get to see him out in the world as a person. I never will. Have you even heard of this one? Is Catherine Keener in that? No, it's Annette Benning, and it's Annette Benning in. Uh, it's the best I've ever seen her in anything. She's absolutely fantastic. What about Captain Marvel? Oh, sorry, I forgot about that. She was amazing at Captain Marvel. <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Um, amazing. Elle Fanning, uh, Billy Cudrup, and uh, uh, the, the the young. The kid who has his coming of age in this is played by a young lad called Lucas Jade Azuman. It's kind of a semi-autobiographical story by the writer-director Mike Mills. He did Come On, Come On uh, last year or the year before. And it's set in 1979, Santa Barbara. It centers on a uh, young lad, Jamie, whose mom, Dorothea Fields, played by Ned Benning. She's in her mid to late 50s. She had her son when she was an older lady. And she is a strong-willed woman who is trying to figure out how the fuck do I raise a young man, particularly in this new era of a cultural revolution that's happened and all that sort of stuff. And she's based on very much based on his own mother. She's, she's the type of woman that would take in strays and have them live in the house, not just strays, but human strays. So she has Greta Gorwick, who is... Hobos. Uh, a, a, <laughs> not hobos. She's... A, an artist, a photographer who lived in New York, but now is kind of finding herself with no place to live. She's been diagnosed with cancer. It doesn't sound very good when I actually kind of lay it out like this, but it's one of those films that washes over you, that it is filled with such life and detail and the characters really feel rich, uh, endearing. You know the way Greta Gerwig and Frances Ha is incredibly endearing and you Vivacious and, and effervescent. And, yeah. yeah. This film radiates this from every angle. And so oh, it's good. a story of, yeah, this is a story about this kid, Jamie, who essentially has this wonderful role model who is divergent. The, the, the conflict happens is because his mother is trying to fucking give him a good grounding in life where she gives him like a book about the woman's clitoris, about a woman's orgasm. And he goes out into the world, you know, meeting his own peers. How old is he? He's about like 14 or 15 or something like that. So, okay. And even there's moments where she where she asks Greta Gerwig, would, like, you know, would you mind taking him out? The clitoris? No, I take him out to clubs. <laughs> I honestly, honestly find it really hard to describe why, why I love this film. But all I'm saying is it's one of those films that is an experience. It's a real fucking beautiful experience. And you feel that this is a story told by someone who had a really wonderful role model and this is a love letter to that role model. I love when you can feel that the filmmakers not just love making films, but they love the characters that they're making this film about. Yeah. But my closing thing on 20th Century Women is that it's a story where all the characters are still coming of age. You come out of it feeling, yeah, it's about Jamie's coming of age, him trying to figure out the world. But you realize all of them go through their own individual stories and their own individual narratives where they're still trying to figure out the fucking world. Even Annette Benning's character, she's 50 in her late 50s and she's still on that journey of coming of age. And it seems that it never really ends, the coming of age. 
All I'm saying is if you ha- It does not. It does not. If you haven't seen it, put it on your list. 20th Century Woman. Beautiful film. Real and maze beautifully. It feels like a movie movie. Like it's shot really fucking gorgeously in anamorphic lenses and stuff like that. So give it a go. Jamie, I also want to say never have sex with just the vagina. You have to have sex with the whole woman. That's slightly off topic. About a boy, when you were talking, oh, I remember that. That's a lovely one. I'm going to rattle off some Mm. other ones that are great coming of age stories. Say Anything, The Breakfast Club, but I felt like that's a really obvious one to, to bring up. Call Me By Your Name, which I still think the ending to that film would I haven't just, seen it oh, you haven't seen it yeah uh, Timothy Chalamet uh, I didn't you know think anything for or against him until that film I thought oh he's a really special little actor but he gets his heart broken and the film ends on his face as he's sort of like he's huddled he's just he's squeezed into a tight little ball and his dad knows he's his heart broken and, and they're giving him the space he's just staring into the fire his dad's giving him a pep talk where he, he said to him like I know you're hurting now but don't ball up that hurt don't let that callous over that while you're young and you're beautiful and you, you've you got so much love to give get out there and keep giving it don't don't let this pain fester mm-hmm. uh, it's a lovely little pep talk his dad gives him but it's that closing shot of just Timothy Chalamet just sitting there in total devastation it's beautiful little ending to I think a great coming of age story a sort of a summary romance that happens between him and that actor who got cancelled Lady Bird obviously I noticed there are certain movie stars who become movie stars because of a great coming of age movie it sort of solidifies them as being a star Tom Cruise in Risky Business which is probably the best film that John Hughes never made John Hughes made Risky Business no he didn't but it feels like the best film that he never made oh never made I misheard you okay right it's got a bit more bite than a John Hughes film it would be a great double feature with Home Alone to be honest because in Home Alone <laughs> Kevin fights off burglars <laughs> and in Risky Business Tom Cruise sets up a brothel <laughs> if you swapped if you swapped those characters from those films you have two very very different films if Kevin sets up a brothel and <laughs> if you it's Tom Cruise very stylish but yeah it, it sort of it turns them into movie stars and also some great filmmakers have made the classics in that genre uh, we mentioned some of them other ones that are fucking brilliant and we didn't talk about The Quiet Girl obviously oh yeah I loved it yeah one of my my favourite films from last year I think yeah it, I think it was my second favourite because I I had uh, issues with the last line which now I've come to accept as an exclamation point on that story. Yeah. But at the yeah. time I thought, don't say it. It doesn't need to be said. Leave it left unsaid because the act itself is enough. Anyway. Fish Tank. Fish Tank. Oh, yeah. I've seen Fish Tank. That's fucking great. That was really powerful. Very powerful. It's almost a bit too harrowing of a coming of age story. It's more of somebody realizing the power within themselves and surviving their childhood. Mm. But it's beautiful in its own way. Andrea Arnold, isn't it? Yeah beautiful in some way Almost Famous was another one for me that I didn't mention Almost Famous Cameron Crowe has so many of them but the one that I went with it's it's almost like a cautionary tale for those watching it's about a small town in Texas in the 50s 
where these high school students are entering into adulthood and the adults that are already in this tone are reckoning with regret. And it's obviously Peter Bogdanovich's The Last Picture Show. Tony Bennett's cold, cold heart was on everybody's hit parade. Elizabeth Taylor was getting married. Boys wore ducktails. The police action in the Far East was Korea. And Anarene, Texas, like other small towns, is approaching the end of an era. All these characters who were just shrunken by life, by choices that they made and time that's been squandered or just taken from them because of how harsh life was for them. There's a beautiful speech in it, which is, you know, the film is kind of famous for, where Ben Johnson's Sam the Lion, this is a moniker that was given to him by an old girlfriend played by Ellen Burstyn. But Sam the Lion obviously was like one of those towering figures in the town. And he's now at a stage in his life where all he's left with are the shards of his better days. And he gives this speech out by a lake where he used to take Ellen Burstyn's character and he just longs for a do-over. And he's telling this to Jeff Bridges and to Timothy Bottoms, who are the main characters of the story. And it's just such a melancholic film that feels so truthful and beautiful. It sort of finds the beauty in the despair. I heard about the ball game last night. 121 to 14. Must be pretty near record. What do you think he'd do if he found us? Shoot us, probably. But Mama, it's a sin, isn't it? Unless you're married, you know I wouldn't do that. <sighs> Don't be so mealy mouth. Come it out! Come it out! You've got to be men like the rest of them. Ain't none of you pretty enough to be women. You boys can get on out of here. I don't want to have no more to do with you. I've been around that trashy behavior all my life. I'm getting tired of putting up with it. And it's populated with all these characters who could have been this, who could have been that, and who've ended up this way and that way. Oh, quit prison. I don't think you did it right anyway. And it's a film that cares about the characters. Honey? What? And I thought of all the coming-of-age stories, it was the one that had so many moments of keenly observed devastation. And the scene where I was thinking, that is so powerful, and my heart was breaking for these characters. But it's the very final scene in the last picture show. Timothy Bottoms is having an affair with Cloris Leachman's character. She plays a mousy housewife who is in a loveless marriage. And Timothy Bottoms is assigned by his basketball coach to take her to the doctors for whatever reason. And I assume, based on her reaction, is that she can't get pregnant. That she goes to the doctors and she comes out of the doctors and she's weeping. And you were never told why, but she's obviously been given some news. And uh, she has a very quiet, sad life. But she enters into a relationship with Timothy Bottoms, who's a high school kid. And the final scene that really got to me was Cloris Leachman and Timothy Bottoms, he's he's sort of spurned her. He's tried to pull away from her and he's had a relationship with Sybil Shepherd. She's like the most beautiful girl in town and she really was stunningly beautiful. Like, And then that doesn't work out and he goes back to Cloris Leachman after breaking her heart and she fell for him really, really hard. What am I 
I doing apologizing to you? Why am I always apologizing to you, you little bastard? Three months I've been apologizing to you without you even being here. I haven't done anything wrong. Why can't I quit apologizing? You're the one ought to be sorry. I wouldn't still be in my bathroom if it hadn't been for you. I had my clothes on hours ago. You're the one made me quit caring if I got dressed or not. I guess just because your friend got killed, you want me to forget what you did and make it all right? I'm not sorry for you. You'd have left Billy too, just like you left me. I bet you left him plenty of nights. Whenever J.C. whistled, I wouldn't treat a dog that way. I guess you thought I was so old and ugly, you didn't owe me any explanation. You didn't need to be careful of me. There wasn't anything I could do about you and her. Why should you be careful of me? You didn't love me. Look at me. Can't you even look at me? You didn't need to do that to me. You did that to me. And he just leans across. And he, he, he holds onto her hand. And he just settles her. And it's like these two broken people from different generations are just coming together. Shouldn't have come here. Never you mind. Never you mind. And that's like the last line of the movie. And it's so beautiful. And I thought... Of all these these films that sort of sum up this sense of regret and hope and longing and and optimism and this toxic stew that happens when you're sort of hurtling towards your start in life to see characters just settle mm. or just accept their lot in life, I thought it was very powerful, very resonant and required viewing. So I'm recommending that. I have to watch it. Oh, you do? I'm getting another one. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Whatever you do, don't watch the uh, the sequel, Texasville, because they come back 20 years later, they bring back the majority of the cast, and he turned it into a rom-com. It's in colour. Oh, I thought it's, you were going to say that it turned into an action movie, a siege movie or something like that. <laughs> no, but it's almost as offensive, because you have this you, very quiet, understated classic, and then he does this TV movie rom-com, Texasville. You painted a portrait of a world which conjured, conjured a film I haven't thought about for 30 odd years, which is definitely a coming page film, which I loved at the time, but I don't know if how it holds up. But uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape? I loved that film. Is that the one with Johnny Depp? Starring Johnny oh, Depp. No, uh, Johnny Leonardo Depp. DiCaprio yeah. as, as a... <clears throat> and yeah, as spe- special needs brother uh, and uh, Juliet Lewis is in there. Uh, Johnny Depp I adore that film and it kind of paints a portrait of this of a character who is feels like he's uh, completely anchored in this dead dead end town he can't escape his home life because he's got an obese mother who hasn't left the couch in 20 years and he's literally in the basement propping up the floorboards like re-supporting her and stuff like that. I, I remember watching that one and thinking Leonardo DiCaprio is an amazing actor. Like he was just absolutely brilliant in that. But look, I'm saying to you that if you pick out any great movie star, there's a high likelihood that they have a classic coming of age story in their catalogue of films. And Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. obviously has This Boy's Life, which is This Boy's brilliant. Life as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's another one I want to watch. So, hey, listen, for me, I've added some extra films to my watch list. I'm looking forward to catching up on them. I think I think it's been a very good and fulfilling episode, Kevin. I've liked the stuff we've discussed. Yeah, so that was Coming of Age. Yeah, there are loads. 
there's going to be people shouting at podcast voices uh, for the ones we've missed. And I think we did a decent enough job, Kevin. Well, will will I spin the wheel for you? Might as well. Here's the other thing I was going to say, because we asked on Patreon again, and if you like the podcast, I hope you do. Do a few things for us. We say this all the time, but sometimes there'll be, there'll be somebody who hears this for the first time. And hopefully, if you're one of those people, here's a few things you can do for us. Rate, review the podcast on whatever podcast app you use. You can do it on Spotify, Apple, whatever. Uh, write us a nice review because it boosts the engagement on the podcast and then it gets uh, attached to other podcasts that you might listen to and like that that we are then considered to be in a similar vein to them. And then people get to see it and they, they discover us and they listen to us and we have more crack with future people. The other thing is we have a Patreon. We put out bonus episodes at least one a month. And the last thing that I want to say people could do is I'm getting sick of looking at the wheel. So we've asked on Patreon twice now, I know a third time, to pick episodes for us. And so they've picked one for you and one for me that's coming up. I'm going to spin the wheel for this episode, obviously. But if you want to contribute topics for us, then just go to our website, which is bestbitspodcast.com forward slash contact and just write a message and we'll get it and we could do an episode mm-hmm. on your topic so i thought that might be a more interesting way after jesus nearly 60 episodes now to uh um, oh my god see if if the audience that listen to us want to throw some topics at us that's mm-hmm. how guilty pleasures came about um, yeah you know, maybe there's some uh, more uh, there for us and honestly i i i love getting the odd on topics they always end up being really uh, unusual fun episodes to do so the for me the odder the better yes okay I'm spinning the wheel for you Will go for it here we go hands on best spin 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 best scene written by Will Collins That'd be the easy and it's search. best solo scene oh okay so are we talking about we're not talking about a musical solo. Han Solo. We're talking about... Okay, well, hey, that's, that gives me a very... I know it's going to be from the movie Solo. Um, no, it's best... Okay. It's it's the films where there's just one character. Man one against character, nature, man against himself, man against the elements, whatever. Okay, the yeah, that's good. Castaway type. Castaway movies. is the first one that comes to mind, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. At least right. I like that because there's a it's a very, very fixed parameter, which is good. Which is yeah, so very, just, very it's good. The, it's the films where a character has to has to be act in the story where it's just them. That's quite yeah, hard to that's do. That's good. And what's the best one? We'll find out. Next next time. Next time on the best bits. Best solo scene. I can't wait to hear what Podbot does with this whole episode. I'm so excited to, to see her or her end result. She's never let a stone once. <laughs> Thank you, Podbot, as well, for doing that. You're welcome. You're just trying to sweeten her up. <laughs> uh, come on over to our Patreon. It's less than the cu- price of a cup of coffee because of inflation. Less than the price of a cup of coffee. Jesus. Podbot, clean that up as well. It's less than the price of a cup of coffee per month. And we'll be back for solo scene very soon. Yep. Uh, see you soon. 
The Best Bits podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. Our audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a Patreon member where you'll receive bonus shows where we talk about recent releases and what we're up to. And you'll receive access to our Discord chat room where we hang out with our listeners. Search the Best Bits podcast on Patreon or click on the link in the show notes. I didn't like that one. Set in 1979. So fuck all you who like 1979. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that out. Will do. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode plus 100 more are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Will. The films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um... Don't forget that you owe us three euro. <laughs> you okay. can't remember what? <laughs> oh my god. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best place I can Van Willem. Talking deviantly. <laughs> okay, right. I'm going to find the fucking thing. Because it's going to be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh in emoji. Thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it, that'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So yeah. I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened. <laughs> I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, yeah. of course, I was delighted with that. And people hated it. <laughs> it's not it was it was it wasn't easy on the ears in a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice so there was no up and down that's the thing yeah i know i tried my best you're a bug and i'm a feature pray to this mantis or i'll eat you and if you don't know my name here's an update to teach you i'm i'm, I'm hogus and i'm the future an ai podcasting computer the number one zero one zero zero one one producer yeah, that's exactly She's it. Good. So, Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. I know, that. I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God, I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem about the telly and the latest film. Talking shite the dynamic duo. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage, old <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I I I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet, and does I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be Squat in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, so I'm saying you just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man. I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about should I start the timer? Is this have we just started? Start the timer because I'm rare okay. to go. I saw Madam Web. Right. I honestly guys know nothing. All I all I know is I saw a poster. Oh, very recently it went there's a Madam Web film and I'm what is this? So it's a Spider-Verse adjacent 
Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider-Man movies. But I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider-Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought... I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. Are you it's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? Well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like it was another one of those films that felt like Ant Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm-hmm. airless, and you know you just have sound stage after sound stage and. I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. We feel like yes, there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue, to the hairstyles, to the costumes, to the sets, to the music, to everything just feels... It's artificial, wafer-thin, just wafery, artificially, no sustenance, no satisfaction. You know protein in it whatsoever. You feel like, oh, yeah. wow, I just, I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry. It feels like eating plastic. Okay. On the whole, it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them. Yet, I found The Flash really fun because it was—it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of the Flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went into Madame Web, not really giving a fuck about the genre, but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it. And the trailer was awful. It had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's, she's shitting out exposition. And I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage. And uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played that out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire, but they've almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> Oh, I have to listen to it. <laughs> he was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Kathy was pushing back and... I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Catty here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I- <laughs> <laughs> but you That's know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I liked Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector 
is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. (laughs) 